Uh, as I prepared for this message this morning, the realization hit me uh, that I have not pulpit preached since 2018. I typically lead a discussion-style teaching. Um, so as I find my bearings this morning, please bear with me. If I get a little bit of cotton mouth here and there, please be patient. Um, so we have a lot of ground to cover here. I have uh, quite a bit that the Lord has laid upon my heart to share with you this morning. So uh, as we do that, as we get started, let me pray for us as we open the scriptures this morning. Father God, we are just so thankful that we can be here this morning. We are thankful that we can open God's word. Uh, we are thankful, Lord, that, um, that these words are not of mine, but they are yours. And Father, I just pray that as they fall upon the ears of the people in the congregation this morning, um, that they are receptive to it, uh, and that they know it is from you and not of me. So, Father, as we look to your scriptures, let that be the case. We pray these things in your name. Amen. How did I end up here? Have you ever thought of that question? I'm sure it has come to my mind a time or two. I know as a child, if I wasn't already asleep, uh, when my parents put me in the car, I was asleep probably by the end of my driveway. I always loved sleeping in my car. Um, so, next thing I know, we're in Bangor. We're in there for a day of shopping, and I have no clue. How did I get here? That's the first thing that comes to my mind. However, I'm not asking that question today in the typical fashion. We usually hear this question in our heads uh, when a situation has gone wrong. I know that's come to my mind. Uh, when something has gone wrong or something so drastic has happened, <clears throat> something so drastic has happened that all we can muster up is how did I get here? Well, today, church, I'm asking you that question in the real sense of how we ended up right in these seats right here. How did I get here today? What is the purpose of coming here on Sunday mornings? So in the next few minutes, let's try to find the answer to that question of how did I end up here? Let's start in the book of Ephesians. So if you will, turn there with me, and we'll look at chapter 13, starting in verse 1. We'll go all the way to verse 13. And as you turn there with me, uh, let me present to you a little bit of background um, that Paul is mentioning here in this passage. Paul is laying out a uh, scope of God's eternal plan to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul in chapter 2, right before this, laid it out plainly and simply that all sinners alike were dead in trespasses, in their trespasses. But by God's mercy and grace, we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And that leads us to where we are in chapter 3, which says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul says something interesting here for us to take a serious look at. He uses this term mystery. The mystery he's referring to is that not only are the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, considered to be under God's grace, but the Gentiles are fellow heirs, which leads us here to the creation of the church. This would have been some big news uh, to the culture at the time. Israel and the Jewish people are supposed to be the chosen people of God, right? Aren't they the ones that God has called before him? Aren't they the people God led out of slavery in Egypt? Aren't they the people that God then led to the promised land that was first mentioned to Abram? All of these are good questions and deserve to be answered. How can Gentiles now be included in the promised plan of God when we have read Israel is God's people? I think the answer is actually as early as Genesis 12. Um, Here in Genesis 12 is where we see God communicates with Abram. Uh, And for those of you that don't know, I'm going to ask you to uh, bear with me on this as well. Abram and Abraham are the same person, right? So I'm going to jump back and forth between that name quite a bit, I'm I'm sure of it. Um, But Abraham was the name then given uh, to Abram by God when another covenant was made uh, at a later time. So here in Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, uh, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the first 11 chapters of Genesis moved very quickly. In fact, it covered about 2,000 years in that span. Now as we open up here to chapter 12, we start to see stories unfold at a much much slower pace. As a matter of fact, it takes the next 13 chapters of Genesis just to cover 100 years. So why the change of pace? Because the gospel story starts becoming a little bit more detailed, and it starts right here in the first three verses of chapter 12. This is the call of Abraham. As we look at this text, we can see that God makes four visible blessings and promises to Abram. 
These blessings include good land, many descendants, a great name, and the privilege of being the agent through whom all families of the earth shall be blessed. We're only going to be focusing on a couple this morning. First, I wanted to mention the blessing of land. And the blessing of land is an interesting but very important part of this covenant between God and Abram. First, we see that God is calling him to leave the land he currently dwelled with, with his family, and completely move to somewhere he has no idea about, but has just been promised to him. All he knows is that God wants him to go up there. Uh, And that would seem quite outlandish uh, to many around him. In fact, we see that similarly today, right? People leaving areas because they feel led by God um, just seems foolish to the unbeliever. And maybe it might even seem foolish to fellow believers. Not only was the leaving of his current land outstanding, but the promise of a new one is just as remarkable. In fact, it is such a big part of God's covenant with Abram that it becomes a common theme throughout the Old Testament, especially in the next few books of the Bible. Battling, conquering, protecting are prominent in many of the stories that we continue to read. Why is that? Well, it is because this promise of land shows that God has not left the idea of having his kingdom here down on this earth. But with that land comes the promise of descendants in a great nation, which happens to be Israel. This is the promise we really need to focus on this morning. The nation of Israel and Abraham's descendants is important to put a lot of emphasis on. As we have the whole story today, we know that through the descendants would come, through the, would come the Messiah of God, of God's people. But that leads us to our question. What about God's people? Who are they? It seems pretty plain as day in Genesis passage here that the nation of Israel is who God is referring to. So why does Paul later on say now that the Gentiles are also included? How does that make sense? Well, again, knowing that we have the full story, let's take a closer look at verse 3 in Genesis. We read it, and it says again, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Could that be the answer to our question? Is it really that simple? In you all, in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. This is not an exclusion, but an inclusion. Now, after saying that, let me clarify just a thing or two here. As we look at the words, all the families of the earth, this is meaning all those that fall under God's grace. All those that have believed in who Christ was and what he accomplished on and after the cross. So with that being said, I think we can identify that from the beginning, God had the intention 
of Gentiles also being included with his chosen nation of Israel. It's amazing that God has planned this out so well. So Paul referring to this mystery is simply because it was just not understood prior to this revelation. But again, Paul says back in Ephesians 3, verses 5 and 6, that this was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel message, which starts back with Abram, is the answer to the mystery Paul is discussing. So there it is, folks. We've solved the burning question of how we ended up here, sitting in this pew. Because we are co-heirs, we were able to be receptive to the gospel message. We could hear it and we could receive it. This is why I imagine the majority of you are here today. Someone shared the gospel message with you. Uh, and you received God's grace and your belief. And because of that, you decide to come here every Sunday morning. And that's why I'm here. Case closed, right? Well, not quite. We may know how we ended up here. But there is still the question of what to do next. And I think that's an important question that we should always be considering. This right here is what I really want to get across to you this morning of what comes next. There's still more work to be done. When we believe, what do we become? We become disciples. And in its simplest form, this is just a, follow, a follower of Christ. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there's more to it. What does it mean for us to be disciples? Well, I just have a few points that I'd like to share with you uh, to show what a life of, as a disciple can look like. The first is this. You must have your identity in Christ. If we have received the gospel message and understand what Christ has done for us, this has to be in the forefront of our minds. As we discussed earlier, right before Paul revealed the mystery that the Gentiles were co-heirs to Christ through the gospel, he talks about us being dead in our trespasses. But again, God being rich in his mercy saved us by grace through faith. And the important part here this was not from us. This was from God. It's not of our own doing. And if we believe that is true, then everything we are today, we have life today because of Christ himself. And if we can fully acknowledge that statement, then where else should we find our identity but Jesus Christ himself? We can't find it in ourselves if we are dead by ourselves, then why would we look to ourselves? So likewise, the second thing I believe is an important part in, a, uh, in being a disciple is our dependence upon Christ. If we just said that our faith was not of our own doing, 
Our salvation is not of our own doing. Then we must depend on something. And if we cannot depend on ourselves, then who else should we depend on besides Christ? In Luke chapter 14, it talks about bearing your own cross. A concept that is often said but not necessarily expanded upon. What exactly does that mean? Well, in the context of that passage, bearing your own cross means to deny yourself, leave your possessions, and follow Christ. Depend on Him for our needs. If we think back just a few months ago to Pastor Josh preaching on the Beatitudes, he pointed out to us that we need a healthy dependence upon Christ. That is such an important thing to do. We need a needy dependence upon Christ. That should be something we acknowledge often. Because acknowledging that need for dependence shows that you need a Savior in the first place. The next thing I believe is paramount to a disciple's life is understanding the difficulty that comes with it. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's going to be difficulty in suffering when living as a disciple for Christ. This is because there's conflict between the gospel lifestyle that the Word of God lays out for us and what the world says we need to live. We disagree on meaning of life. We disagree on sex. We disagree on our identity, on what success is, on what is important in our lives. This is going to lead to some sort of persecution. And folks, we may not be there yet, but persecution is prevalent elsewhere in the world. And if we look back to the disciples, all of them but one died a martyr's death preaching the good word of the Lord. This may even lead to people just simply hating us. And the question for it, uh, the question that you need to answer is, is it worth it? What I can say to that question, speaking about myself, is that if I was dead without Christ, but alive with him, it seems pretty worth it to me. I, I would choose to continue to follow him, no matter what the world may throw at us. My fourth observation is that a disciple should have, um, should have good fruit in their life. A true disciple bears good fruit in the name of God. In Galatians 5, we are presented with the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I typically have to sing a song to actually say these words, uh, but luckily I have it typed out for us, so I'll spare you of my not-so-musical talents. But Galatians says that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are fruits of the Spirit. If we are truly believers of God, 
We have the Spirit within us, and I hope you know that today. The Spirit is within you if you believe in what Christ has done for you. So these gifts must be present with our lives. This is a great visual to show us that good works do not save us, but are produced as a result of our faith in Christ alone. All of these things, I believe, are true marks of a disciple. I believe there may even be more if we wanted to get into some very detailed subjects. The truth of it all is this. If you believe what Christ has done, your life will fall in line with all that I have just mentioned. It may not always come easy. In fact, it's going to be uncomfortable that it's actually a good sign. It shows that you're on the right path in your walk with Christ. As Christ says, we will suffer. We will be uncomfortable. So church, I want to leave you with this today, this very thought. I do not think this is a state road problem, but a worldwide church problem. Our work is still not done as a disciple of Christ. As Christ commanded his disciples in the end of Matthew 28, 28, which says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they, say him, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We must also make disciples stay around. What I believe lacks in most churches and Christian relationships is the act of making disciples. The act of making disciples is not just sharing the gospel and then them receiving it. It doesn't even stop after they start coming to church on Sundays. But church, it continues on in the relationship with one another. That's what our church is. It continues as mentorship, having a relationship that you can hold one another accountable for. Having a relationship with one another that will continuously point one another back to Christ, both in the famine and in the harvest. Discipling someone at the core is a relationship with one another, with Christ at the center. How many of us, myself included, can say that we are doing this successfully. I don't think I can. How many can also say that we may have left someone after presenting the gospel and never looked back? When I first came to know Christ, I had no idea what to do. I felt joy for the first time that I could remember in my life. But I had no one to sit with me show me by example, or to keep me accountable to God's Word. I'm curious how many of you sitting here this morning 
have had a similar situation that has happened to you. How amazing would it have been to have that relationship with someone? My challenge to you, my family here, is to do the hard work. Find the time to be in these relationships to help build disciples or to be able to admit that you need to be discipled yourself. So we've covered a lot of ground today. And what I want you to see, State Road Church, is that we were included in God's promised plan from the start. And the gospel is a beautiful thing that we can be thankful to be a part of. But what comes next? This is what's been on my heart for the last couple of years. What comes next? Once we've been adopted by our Father, how then should we live? And I say to you this morning, live as a true disciple and help make others in his name. Let's pray. Father God, I'm just so thankful that we can be a part of a relationship with you, Lord. That even from the beginning, when we fell in the garden, you had planned to include all of those that would believe in your name. Lord, we do not deserve it because you tell us that the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. But Father, thank you for being rich in your mercy and giving us you. So Father, as we leave here this, this morning, please help us stay focused upon who you are and what you've called us to do. I pray these things in your name. Amen.